Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Way podcast. I am joined today by, well, I say this a lot, but truly one of my favorite people um, that I've had the privilege to know. And, you know, one of the great gifts of um, friendships is when you're friends with someone that is kind of in the same work and as a peer and you admire not just who they are as a person, but you admire their mind and their heart and their soul, such as the case with my friend John Gawansi, who lives in the Boston area and is a coach and mentor. And today, John, we're going to talk about masculinity. So thanks for joining me. Thank you, Justin. Awesome so, topic. It is an awesome topic. And it's something that, you know, you and I have talked about over the years. Um, and, you know, you're, you're, you like me, you're, you're a polymath. You know, you, there's a lot of things that you know, and we could probably talk about a lot of different things. Um, but I, I throw this topic out because I do think that there's kind of a crisis of masculinity. It's my observation that this is obviously loose. It's what I call foster research. So it's like just my loose observation, but about 40% of men are just domesticated. They're, they've been, they've been emasculated. Um, and about other 40% of the other 40, another 40% of men are either overtly or secretly misogynistic um, predators. Um, and so that leaves about 20% of men that have their shit together. Um, and, that's not uh, enough. and that's not enough, right? Especially as we enter in, we're in this age of kind of the feminine and feminine energy is that women leaders need whole men to work with. Right. Um, and we're not going to change the world by moving from patriarchal to matriarchal. We're going to change the world through integration. But yeah, that's a different topic. <laughs> so. So the first question I wanted to throw out for us to answer is, how has the definition of masculinity changed for you over the years? And in this format, you, you answer first, and then I'll give you my answer. Um, you know, if I, if I think back, you know, I um, you know, a definition of someone who I believe is, is masculine, you know, I suppose it was, it was someone that I, someone that knows what to do, you know, always. He's strong. He shows very little emotion. And he's, he's definitely not one to admit that he's ever having a hard time. Right. With anything. I, you know, I can't look bad. That's really what it is, because it's like it's like they have this belief that this the world out there is this judgmental and in in fearful place. And I have to be on guard to make sure that I'm being perceived as someone who's got their shit together. Yeah. So what is it now when you see when you consider masculinity and, you know, it's a very broad idea. What is what defines masculinity for you now? Um, I like the word vulnerability, someone who's, um, who's willing to actually stand in what they don't know, but not have it be a problem, right? I think most men, we make that a problem when we get all, um, maybe it's this fear of looking bad or looking incompetent. So we don't, um, we're afraid to talk about the things that, well, may either make us uncomfortable or 
things that we won't, we want to create in our lives, but we don't know how to do it. And we make that an issue and a problem. And, um, well, that's exactly what we get, you know? Um, I think if more men really sat with that, you know, and, um, Because if, if you, if you're like overly concerned in terms of how you're being perceived or, um, you know, if you're in a relationship in terms of what your partner thinks of you or um, you tend to just play it safe and you never right. really lean in and, and live on your edge. Right. And then you just become this, um, what is the word you used in terms of like a emaciated? Is that what you, is that the word you emasculated? Emasculated. Emasculated. Yeah. yeah. What's yeah? It's um, and then you never end up doing anything, right? Unless it's something that you're comfortable or that you know what to do. So how do you yeah. grow from that? Yeah, and then all of that like masculine energy builds up. Um, you know, the, you, then you start to see some dishonesty or destructive behaviors or, um, um, or, you know, it's got to, that energy has got to go somewhere. Got to go somewhere. Exactly. And unfortunately with a lot of men, it goes into unhealthy things. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's, you know, that's part of the problem why there's a crisis of masculinity because the, the outlet for masculinity is, have, has shifted. Um, and, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the book Iron John by Robert mm. Bly. He talks a lot about this and uh, Wild at Heart um, is another excellent book, John Eldridge about yeah, that's a great one. modern masculinity. And, and that, and that kind of goes to my, um, my answer to that question is very similar is that, you know, my model for masculinity for many years was my grandfather. And he was how you described, he did not show many emotions. Like there were two emotions that were acceptable to show is one was anger and the other one was humor. Other than that, he was very affectionate with my grandmother. And I observed that was because it was in great contrast to my parents' marriage. Um, but he was, this is a misuse of the word now stoic stoic doesn't mean emotional, yeah. but in the sense of that, that, that use of the word, he was stoic. He was, he didn't show a lot of emotion and he showed up and he did the work and, um, so I thought that's what it meant to be a mask to, to be masculine. I think I was also influenced by like John Wayne and Clint Eastwood and Tom Selleck and, you know, uh, that, that masculinity was like, you were cool. Mm -hmm. Girls liked you. Um, you dressed nice, uh, or you dressed, you know, you dressed in a certain way. And I didn't learn masculinity from my father. You know, it's been, something that I've had to work through over the years because it was so undefined. And I, that's why I think I was so focused on modeling and teaching ma healthy masculinity to Logan and Caden and now Andre. Yeah. yeah. Well, you um, did, you did what I think a lot of men need to do more, which is, you know, look back at who your influences were. Yeah. A, a healthy or unhealthy, frankly. Right. Right. Both. Both. Yeah. And, you know, one of the questions that one of the things that we talked about, you know, years ago, you said to me, it was, it might actually be from Tony Robbins. You'll, you'll tell me if it is, but 
it's like, you know, we tend to become like the people that we want attention from that we're not getting. Right. Yeah. I think his statement is the question actually is who, who did you have to become to get approval from the a parent that you admired the most? Yeah. That maybe yeah. you weren't getting the attention from. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. I, I always was flummoxed by that question because mine was like neither, but I did want my grandfather's approval and dealing with, you know, being a, you know, a highly sensitive person and get migraines and all that. I always, you know, it sort of I fed into my belief at the time. And sometimes it's still there that there's something wrong with me um, mm-hmm. and that I'm defective as a man. So right. especially being a late bloomer, like, you know, not going through puberty until I was like 17. Yeah. You know, it's like, there's something wrong with me. I should know. Yeah. I should know what to do here. Right. A man knows what to do. Yeah. A man knows I what need to, to do. know. Yeah. I don't know what to do. I'm scared. I don't like this feeling. Yeah. So I know what I did. It wasn't that long ago. I would, I would, like we talked about earlier in terms of that, that energy has got to go somewhere. Yeah. So for me, it was unhealthy. It was porn, a lot of it, mm-hmm. you know, it was lots of masturbation. It was, mm-hmm. um, it was, uh, being promiscuous, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it was objectifying women. That was my unhealthy outlet. Cause I, I had to do something to sort of solve the, I don't know. Yeah. I'm yeah. scared, but I can't say yeah. I'm scared. Right. To who? Right. Yeah. I think about the model now of masculinity and, and I, 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 there's many, I mean, you, you model a lot of much of what I believe is modern masculinity. Many of my friends do um, many of them I've had on the podcast. And, but to me, the model of masculinity, actually, that's a contemporary and timeless model of masculinity is Jesus. Mm. And you think about like someone that was that their whole self that showed up with a spirit to serve and they could be physically tough and also emotionally soft and mentally strong and spiritually resilient. And so to me, masculinity is about strength, but it's not about the strength of suppressed emotions and right. You know, uh, it's about, it's much more about spiritual strength. And then the ultimate part of masculinity is when you can show up as yourself. And it's something I told Virginia early on in our relationship where she, she was, you know, skeptical of my attention and intentions. And I said, just watch me. And over the months, you know, she was, she would say things like, I've never, you know, experienced this before or anything. And it's like, that's because to me that the ultimate act of masculinity, especially in a family relationship is you show up and, but that showing up is not a costume. The showing up as you show up as your whole self. So you do the inner work and then you go into the the relationship and the family and you be yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's calming. It brings order. It brings safety and confidence. It brings all kinds of things when you have that wholeness of self that you've done that work inwardly. Right. Um, we all could use more men like that. That that's I believe that's a strong man. Yeah, that's a strong man, exactly. And I still think that masculinity means strength. And I don't condemn, you know, I like Jordan Peterson, his new book. He says, do not casually disparage institutions. You know, I understand that there is a patriarchy and there's a patriarchal system and it's been set up primarily by white dudes. And I get that. I'm not naive or 
you know, in denial of that. And I also think that we, we, we were, you know, the, the, up until the last 60, 70 years, the survival of the human species was reliant on not showing emotion and being like driven to six, you know, to, 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 uh, you know, to survive essentially. Yeah. Cause otherwise you'd be killed. Otherwise you'd be killed. Your family would be killed and all these things. And that's the part of masculinity that's missing now when we talk about softness where there's a, um, you know, a kind of a, a, a placidness, a, like I talked about emasculation is that they, they don't know how to show up. A lot of men don't know how, don't know how to show up in a moment. Um, and so anyway, looping back to that. So, so you, you work, um, with both men and women as a coach. Um, but I think you'd mentioned that a lot of, most of your clients are men. So I'm curious when you think about your clients, obviously without naming names or your friends, what is the common limiter you see in men? You know, the, the proverbial self-limiting belief or, or self-limiting behavior. What do you think, what is something you see that's a fairly consistent pattern with the men of today? Um, it's this restlessness and this uh, impatience. There. Um, so is that a symptom of something else? Like, where does that come from? Restlessness, impatience, where it seems like I might get it. I see that too, but where does that come from? Um, gosh, I don't know. I think it, I think it comes from this belief that, that they shouldn't be here yeah. in this moment, you know, yeah. like I should be somewhere else. Yes. I'm not enough. Right. So-and-so is doing this. I want to do that. Yeah. You know, so it's the comparison. It's the. It's sometimes the rumination. Yeah. You know, what you didn't do, what you could have done. Right. Yeah. I think the, I, I agree with you, is, but I think that the main limiter I see in men, I certainly saw this in myself, is I had no idea who I was. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the intention of good parenting is to teach your children to have a healthy ego. And I didn't have that. I had to figure out that shit myself. So therefore, when you figure it out yourself, you're generally, unless you get some sort of serendipitous, like, you know, you, you end up with a young and you have an older male mentor, or you have, you know, you, 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 you have a great football coach, or you have a great like company commander in the military or something, you, you don't know how to develop a healthy ego. And I see a lot of men that are, detached almost a type of dysmorphia from who they actually are some of this is related to external shame that's come down from kind of the more toxic side of feminism um, um, and some of it is uh, societal you know you see mostly you see either cool guys or dumb men in advertising um, and so i think that there's this collective existential crisis and an identity yeah. crisis and I think underneath that is the masculine soul. And then that produces the restlessness and the impatience. 
And but because they don't know how to regulate, they either suppress it, which makes it worse, it becomes illness, mental and physical illness, or it's manifested, as you mentioned earlier, in um, self-destructive to soul-destructive behaviors. Yeah, that's a good way. To, that's a good way to put it. Soul-destructive. Yeah, but it's um, yeah, not knowing who you are. And many men, they think they know who they are, right? But it's all like as you say, ego. And it's, and it might be, they, it's like they over-identify with what they do. Yes. Or some label in general, they over-identify with, with, um, you know, the cultural norms that they have, or you see it, they over-identify with like their ideology or their religious belief or their ethnicity. They over-identify with that. Not that those are unimportant, but they're not who you are. Right. Um, so yeah, they're not you at your core. No, I think most men don't know that answer. You're right, and I think a lot of men are in relationships, and you know, using heteronormative terms here, but men are in relationships with women that do know who they are, and then they wonder why there's conflict and this strange disassociation, and there's a dissonance in the in the relationship, and I think that's true. With like in the workplace, I think. I think that when you don't know who you are, it leads to pretense and pretense is a soul crusher because it's living a lie essentially. And I did that. I mean, I did that for years, John. I've mixed, I've mentioned this many times, but I've mixed, I had the arrogance to believe I can mix truth and deceit. And I've forgiven myself because I know it was a survival mechanism. It was a, yeah. a connection seeking mechanism, uh, uh, and, but I did it. Right. Um, and, and it was because I didn't know who I was. I think another one that I would throw out here is they don't, uh, they, maybe they know who they were, but they have not allowed themselves to evolve. Mm. So you, let's call it stagnation. So they have a lot of fixed mindsets. Yeah. They think, yeah, so, they think they're still that. Yes. And you see, I call it in my book, human bacon. I talk about uncle Rico from Napoleon dynamite. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's a lot of dudes like that. Like, you know, if coach would have put me in the game, you know, they still wear their letterman jacket and they're like 38, you know, that yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, but, but there's also the, the rigid and you see this, this is why, you know, um, extremism exists and, and, and the evangelical world and MAGA and all that is a bunch, largely a bunch of dudes with fixed belief sets. You know, when you watch what happened, like on January 6th and you see the, that 45% of Republicans think the, Biden stole the election and all that, that there's a, that's a, that's a, a sign of mental illness to me. And that mental illness is detachment from who you actually are because you're built your identity on a fixed set of beliefs. Mm. And then a gaslighter like Trump comes along and, um, and convinces you that you're right. And everybody else is crazy. You know, that, I mean, that's a macro view, but yeah, still there. Yeah, no doubt. So this last question is maybe a little bit like wearing clown shoes in a minefield, (laughs) (laughs) but what do you wish women understood more about men? So let's use this term both. Let's think about this in two ways. One is in in a heteronormative relationship, um, but also in the workplace within, you you kind of remove the relationship 
infrastructures and because it's a different different situation it based off of identity and sexual orientation is very different so well, inside of, of a relationship what so just inside of a relationship i, I want to speak to that yeah. first um <laughs> again i'm bringing a lot of my personal experience into what i'm about to say but <laughs> what's top of mind is just because we don't want to be with you doesn't mean we don't want to be with you. What I mean by that is there are times where um, we need solitude. It's good and necessary, I believe, for the soul. And um, I think many men, I think most men know that. Um, but they're afraid to ask for it. And they might be afraid that they believe that their partner isn't going to be, um, be able to handle that inside of a relationship. Yeah. I think it's important. So what would that change if, if you know, um, taking the idea of, just because we we don't want to be with you doesn't mean we don't want to be with you. I think that's how you said it. You know, like right, like solitude is because what changes it helps us become a stronger man. That separation, yeah. So we get to go and now spend some time, um, asking the questions that don't have the ready-made answers that we kind of want, you know. Yeah. But but we know that, um. You know, you can you can want the recipe, but but know that well, you really don't want the recipe because you want to get real clear on what matters for you, right? And to be that, and to bring that back into the relationship. Right. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, you know, Rainer Rilke, I'm paraphrasing. Uh, maybe I'll put the exact quote in sh the show notes, but it's the, the primary role in a marriage is to protect each other's solitude. Hmm. Um, yeah. And depending on it's, you know, he said it in German and there's kind of, you, it, it could mean also mean sovereignty. Or, you know, wholeness of being. Yeah. Um, and that work, you know, it's interesting because that work to find out who you are, back to our prior observation, yeah. only happens in solitude. You don't find out who you right. are in um, only in a relationship. Now, I, I, I posted this as amusing last night, but uh, all relationships are a hall of mirrors. And the lower the consciousness of the relationship, the more distorted the mirrors are. Um, the higher the conscious relationship, the more truth the mirrors tell. And so you do need that in a conscious relationship, that mirroring back of like, whoa, that's look at how I respond to that. I mean, Virginia and I had like a three hour walk and conversation yesterday about what, what it's when we both were both trauma survivors. And sometimes yeah. we are triggered by the, by, by each other's trauma. And the willingness to sit down and talk through, hey, this is how I'm experiencing this. 
um, all of that comes that, but that work, the ability to do that is having your shit together through solitude. Even right. if it's like, we're, you know, right now we live in a three bedroom apartment with our son, um, our younger son, um, Andre's um, biological, I mean, Virginia's son biologically, but our son now. And the only spaciousness that there is, is if I get up at like 530. Right. So that's what I do. Mine's uh, four forty-five. There you go. Right, because you. I mean, you otherwise have I don't house, get it. But you have small. It's fairly small too, mm-hmm. with with four humans living in it, and right. all y'all have each of a pretty significant energy footprint too. You know, it's not like there's you and three mice. <laughs> you know, you, you know your your partner has a. She has got a. She got a lot. She's got a, a radiance about her, and so do your boys. You know, and so finding that space. For yourself is yeah, it's finding the, the space and you know if you're not getting it at home go get it in other words i'm doing a um i'm not sure what it's going to look like but i'm traveling to sedona in april and it's probably going to be four or five days away wow. wow um and it's school vacation week so there's going to be a little bit of, a little bit more heavy lifting yeah. than i normally would be with two young boys well my 13 year old, he's pretty much on his own. He thinks he's 20, but, um, you know, I, I think it's important to know that, you know, our significant others, they can handle it. Yeah. You got to ask for what you want. That's right. You got to ask for what you want. You may not always get it inside of a relationship, but you, you, you got to, I, re- I think you really need to ask for what you want. Yeah. And, and if, if they have an issue, if your partner has an issue with that, that's their stuff in a way. In other words, if, it, if it's creating inside them this insecurity, oh my God, it must mean Justin doesn't want to be with me because he mm-hmm. does this every year. He, he takes like four or five days and I don't yeah. go with him. That must mean something's wrong. Like yeah. that's their insecurity. Like, yeah. Don't make it yours. Yeah. Like, trust that they're going to be able to handle that and work through that. Mm-hmm. And then when you come back, be a strong, masculine man, you know, love your partner mm-hmm. and, you know, thank them for yeah. allowing you to go. But even if they're still a little bit insecure, it's like, don't make that yours. Right. You know, it's like, yeah that's your stuff yeah i also think you know if you if you like i would use myself as an example um i i lean towards more anxious attachment style which is you know under stress i want to get closer to my partner um sometimes and i i've had enough discipline to know that you know it's like you can't you can't hug the cat for very long you know like you got to give you got to give a person space. Um, and, and so I kind of do the opposite of what my mind says, but yeah. what I, the only way that I learned to deal with anxious attachment was by being alone where, you know, being in solitude for sometimes days at a time and not so much now. Um, but I've done that work. And so I don't, I I'm able to extract that. Like, I don't have a need. I, I kind of feel like related to like a five day trip by myself is, I would put that in right now in sort of the bucket of silent retreats or ayahuasca, which is, hey, yeah. 
you do you, but I, it doesn't, I don't think that's for me right now, but that's because I did all that work earlier, you know, in that one of the, one of the, the best parts of the container of how Lena and I, our marriage, our, our marriage evolved into now, you know, not married and just dear friends is that we did give each other lots of spaciousness and we were, we did spend a lot of time apart. Right. Um, and that's where you learn to be alone. That's, I think men need to learn to be alone, especially when you're more, maybe more sensitive or more, you know, you do it like myself, like anxious attachment, you know? Um, and I still, though, I still get separation anxiety and I, I, I'll be, you know, transparent and vulnerable here, but sometimes I'll be like, you know, I'd rather just stay here all day, but I leave and I go to my office because part of my role is protector of space, which means I don't, that's that discernment between what I want and what I need. Um, so I, my answer to that question is to understand that men, we're pretty simple. I mean, Jerry Seinfeld talks about this, you know, we basically like golf carts, you know, stop, go stop, you know, or like our sexuality, we're like a on off switch and women are like the cockpit of a 747 is yeah. <laughs> a little more complicated, a little yeah. more complicated. Yeah. Which is beautiful. And the mystery of that is intriguing. Um, anyway. Um, but I feel like, you know, I like the five love languages and they're somewhat useful, but they're kind of thin. I think what I wish women understood about men is each man has his own unique love language. It's not one of those five only. And you can't say, well, my, my partner, his love language is, um, you know, acts of service. And so, because then it becomes transactional. So it's like Ron Price, my mentor says, all systems are flawed, some are useful. Um, and so the thing though, is understand that each man has his own love language or his own set of things that make him feel both safe and free, which is kind of the role in a conscious relationship is that you help make the other person feel both safe and free. Um, and, and so, you know, using myself as an example, I just have this thing of, of three T's it's, it's time, which kind of loosely goes with quality time in, in the, in the five love languages model touch like physical contact, not just making love, but like, you know, physical touch. Um, what I've learned about that though, is I no longer, I know I did this. It was a type of really pervasive codependency with Lena is that I used her new nervous system to regulate mine. I don't do that with Virginia yeah. at all, um, but I still love closeness. And then the third one is tension. And I didn't mean positive tension, like a guitar string or a bow string. I need a little bit of challenge. I need like Justin is at his most dangerous when he's bored. So a little bit of challenge, a little bit of mystery, a little bit of healthy, like disagreement around something that to me is it's like Esther Perel talks about, you know, it's a type of erotic intelligence or erotic tension that I need in order to feel sort of like I need, like I need a, it's my Viking blood. It needs something to go do and express, you know? Yeah, that's it. That's well said. Thanks. So, well, that's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. I mean, we could talk about this for days. We should do a conference or a webinar or something with men. I think that there's a huge need and a huge curiosity for men to redefine masculinity, find out who they are. Yeah. Redefine who they are. Yeah. 
you know, if they, ask yeah. the question, but don't be in a hurry to answer it. Right. You know, slow down. Yeah. Yeah. There was and a line that we watched on Valentine's Day, the new JLo movie with Owen Wilson. You know, I give it like a five and a half. It was kind of silly, but there was a line that he used. He was a teacher. And he had this quote that he taught his students. It was pretty Zen and pretty awesome, which is if you sit in the question long enough, you eventually you'll get the answer. And I think that that's what solitude does and silence and stillness that that puts you in a place to receive the answer. You're not figuring out a puzzle per se. You're just putting yourself in an open state of consciousness to receive the answer of who am I? Yeah. And not, if you're afraid of the answer, that's fine, but just yeah, be, it's totally fine. Right. Um, and you don't even have to tell anybody once you no. figure it out. Yeah. It's up to you what you do with that information, but not knowing who you are opens you up to all kinds of, of codependency or all the way up to tyranny. I mean, tyranny, it relies on men and women who don't know who they are being exploiting their existential crisis to create authoritarianism. Eric Fromm talked, wrote about this and Hannah, Hannah Arndt both wrote about this at length after World War II. Yeah. Anyway, so I think it's a macro and micro thing is that is <laughs> your masculinity um, is very important to you and your people in your life that you love, but it, it is part of the collective consciousness of the world. And the more weak man, men we have, the more tyranny we have. So there's almost a social responsibility to get your shit together from a masculine standpoint. Yeah, it makes a difference. If we all did that, right? If we all just did that, imagine. Right? hell, like 50, if, taking my original, my numbers of 40, 40, 20, if 50% of us did that, the other 50% would either go by the wayside or figure or change. Cause you know, man, we don't change anything unless it's, unless it stops working, <laughs> you know, we don't, we, there there'd be some social pressure to, to 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 grow and evolve but anyway it's a different yeah topic. and when you start answering when you start asking the questions they don't have those ready-made answers it um it's one hell of a journey yeah. you know it's the it's it becomes an adventure right? right it's adventure living and what is that quote from john eldridge you know every man longs for mm-hmm. a beauty to rescue yeah um a challenge to, to tackle i can't yeah it's yeah. a good an adventure to live or something. I mean, it's a little, like <laughs> it's a little corny, but yeah, it, um, there's, I think there's some truth to that. Yeah. And then one ends up occurring. I believe this, I really do. You, um, you really start to, to surprise yourself in terms of what you're doing, what you're accomplishing, uh, the results you're, you're getting or even not getting. And, um, it's very refreshing. Mm-hmm. And very much living, you know, I believe at your at your edge. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. And you can be that with all of the, you know, sure, you know, we all have them. Like you can be your best, but still carry whatever it is, it's like some insecurity, uh, some fear, mm-hmm. um, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And still sort of live at this place where, oh, my gosh, I can breathe. And I'm noticing that I'm I'm really 
all of those, those unhealthy habits, I'm realizing that I don't, I don't need those anymore. Yeah. I don't need them. Yeah. It's amazing. They don't really do anything for me. Yeah. As you expand your, I mean, I wrote in my essay about this, this uh, I wrote recently is called the great reprioritization and it's how your, my priorities have shifted over the year, over the last couple of years in particular. And it's interesting as you grow in, in your consciousness and your conscious masculinity, what changes, like you said, what you don't need, like the Super Bowl was the first game this year that I watched in enti- its entire entirety. Yeah. That's the first time in probably 20 years where I went all season. Which I didn't want to be odd for you because you're, you love football, me, but, but it goes to, it's similar to, I was, we were at a, a banquet uh, for one of our clients, uh, Rodeo Austin. And I, I looked down at my plate after going through the banquet, like the food line, you know, the banquet line. And it was mostly vegetables with a little bit of meat. Mm. I did that subconsciously though, as opposed to what I used to do, which was a lot of meat and a few vegetables. Yeah. And that, that shift of priorities is all related to consciousness. And I think this is why elevated consciousness can be a threat and why the, if, if, if both partners do not are not working on their own consciousness level, if someone gets too far ahead of the other, it creates resentment and jealousy and distance. And it's, a, it's in some relationships, I think men don't do anything because to be themselves is to end the relationship. Um, right. And that's terrifying for a lot of men. Terrifying. Yeah. But it's also prison. Right. Exactly. Yeah. All right, my friend, this is great. Thank you for doing this with me. Thank you. You're welcome. This is fun.